And before we do so, let's all take a moment to remind ourselves our purpose here and how fortunate we are that we are able to be here in the presence of the Noble Triple Gem, to be students of the Great Master, to follow the path and to have the support of the Mahasangha. To achieve the liberation that we have always sought in Sansara, this is the moment where all merits we have accumulated throughout our time on our journey come to fruition and help us to free ourselves from the shackles of Sansara. Reminding ourselves what our purpose is, our ambition. Let us renew our oath, our pledge to no other but ourselves by taking a moment to chant the Namaskara and pay respects to the undefeated, unvanquished, infinitely compassionate, supremely enlightened the fully awakened one. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Last week I hope I was able to convince you that seeking help and support from lunatics To help you come out of lunacy would probably be the best definition of lunacy. If you've spent your week insightfully, taking in what you see, through your eyes, through your ears, and contemplating it through the lens of Dhamma, then you will begin to understand why I said the things I did. In other words, living in a self-centered world, there's nothing that people want more than to satisfy their selves, fulfill their desires, sate their hunger, preserve themselves, and to really soothe themselves. 
like a rash that always needs itching or needs scratching, a rash that always has an itch and therefore needs a scratch, you expect those people to help you to heal your rash is a meaningless effort. This is because they don't know what's wrong with them. It is not because they are bad, vicious, or vile. They don't know what's wrong with them. But unfortunately, they are the people that you have to live with. They are people who have forgotten their purpose of coming into this world and having been born human. And I don't say this out of spite. I just mean what I'm trying to explain to you and express to you is this is the truth, however much we may or may not like it. They don't know the fundamental problem. These are the people, though, that you have to live with. These are the people that your children have to go and spend time at school with. You cannot expect them to show you, teach you, help you find true happiness. As much as you will fail in your efforts to try and teach them what happiness is, they will fail to teach you what happiness is. Why can't you teach them what happiness is? Because they're already happy, aren't they? The best that you can expect from them is probably an insult. Because they'll think you've gone crazy. If they're generous and they're kind, they might give you a sympathy. They'll sympathize with you. They might look at you and say, you used to live a good life. You used to live a glamorous life. Just look at yourselves now. Look at the way you live now. Why have you done this to yourselves? Have you not heard this so far? If you haven't, then they are on their way. They look at the way you eat and they'll either insult you or they'll sympathize with you. If they're nice, they'll sympathize. And particularly if they feel that you are a threat to their glamorous lifestyles, if your association they see is a threat to their children growing up and becoming successful young people, then they will do whatever they can and everything in their power to distance you from their association and their family. They I believe that your children may be among those that typical parents will try and keep their children away from by now. Parents, yes? 
beginning to happen. They won't like their parents, they won't like their children to be with your children. But if you fast, if you go back, rewind, maybe five years, perhaps four years, three years, then those parents would have loved for their children to be in the association of your children and for them to be in your association. Remember they went on trips with you? Remember? Remember they invited you? Remember they invited you to their birthday parties? Doesn't happen very much now, does it? Remember there was never a party that they organized where you were not on the guest list? Remember? Doesn't happen much now, does it? Because you're just a bunch of losers now. Just look at yourself. No style. No color. No enthusiasm. Just look at yourself. So at best, you'll get a sympathy and they'll push it as long as they can and give you insults. So don't expect to appear on anyone's guest list anytime soon. I don't think children, friends who used to associate you, who used to concern or think that it was a pride for them to have you on their Facebook friend list, I don't think they're very keen on that now. I don't think they share and they like your posts, if you still have any posts going up on there. You're dead to them, really. You're virtually dead. You're just like a vegetable. No taste, no color, no vigor, no charisma. So, they might try to help you. If they still have that sympathy and it hasn't become an insult yet, they might try and help you. Hmm? Ladies, your friends might say, come, come. Let's go to the beauty parlor. Hmm? Let's dazzle you up. Let's give you a makeover. Hmm? In this new year. Right, let's forget all that, all those silly things that you did in the last year. Let's start again. Perhaps it might be your sister who comes and makes this invitation. Maybe your sister-in-law. Perhaps your best friend from school. And you remained best friends until you decided that you wanted to choose a different path. I imagine you don't have very many visitors now. Hmm? What to do? Not many outings now. Not many late night dinners. No. The restaurants don't get booked up with your name on it, do they? 
because you're virtually dead. You're just a number now. It may be that they feel that, you know, you are just taking up space. Hmm? Just taking up space. Space that is available for people to thrive. Space that is available to party, to have fun. You're just taking up space. So I think the best thing to do is if you can't beat them, join them. And agree, yes, we are just taking up space. So what should you do if you're just taking up space? Hmm? Get out of there. So if you're just taking up space, then I think we should agree that we're just taking up space and we should get out of here and make space for them, right? You know, this shift in thinking will have started to happen in you and people will begin to realize those behavioral changes. And as much as I keep reminding you, don't make those changes too visible to the outside. It's, you know, there's only so much you can do, right? There's only so many parties you can endure. There's only so many birthday parties, so many friends you can invite over and still keep your sanity about you, still keep your wits about you. So, whether you like it or not, those changes have begun to happen in your lives. You've still got to be mindful, lest they come and burn your house down and say, this is, this is a... This is a virus, this is, this is a cancer. It will start to spread if we don't burn it down. Right? So you best be careful. But at the same time, you know, these changes are beginning, beginning to happen. And you know, now that you've started it, see it through to the end. Isn't it? You started it, see it through to the end. A journey only half gone is not a journey gone at all. So go the whole way, now that you started it. Make this your lifestyle, make this your livelihood. You heard of Sammaji, right livelihood? What is right livelihood if you ask? The answer to that is to commit your lives to realizing the truth. That's as simple as I can put it. To commit your lives to realizing the truth. A, f a few days ago, um, a young boy, one of our Anagarikas, Putas, he came and asked me, Swaminansa, could you tell me what might happen to me if I, if I left, left the monastery and went home? What might happen to me? What would be what would be the consequence? So he's a teenager. And I said, look at your grandfather. Because as a teenager, he was probably 16, 17, something like that. If you went home today, you would be in the same position that your grandfather was in when he was 16, 17. You'd be in the same position that your father was when he was that age. And look at where they're now. 
That's what will happen. And I said, why don't we get your father here and let's ask him. Hmm? Let's ask him. If you were that age, sir, what would you choose to do? Hmm? So we get, the, we get the father down and we ask the father, like all fathers here, all mothers here, right? so you can start thinking about the answer to this question. If you were your daughter's or your son's age today, and you were offered the opportunity to take their position, and they're yours, right? Now, what would you say to that? Here's what I think you'll say. You look behind, and you'll say, All of those things were mistakes. Everything that I've done has been a mistake. They were all mistakes because I didn't know what I had to do with my life. And so, right from going to university, getting a job, getting married, settling down, starting the family, Having children, grandchildren, yada, yada, yada. Everything from there on. Mistakes. Why mistakes? Mistakes because you forgot the purpose of you coming into this world as a human being. That's why they were mistakes. Talk to your father, talk to your grandfather. I mean, you can do the same, right? Talk to your father, talk to your grandfather. At least imagine you're having a conversation with them and ask them, you know, were they, did they really achieve the purpose of having become a human being? If they're dead now, did they die happy, do you think? Is that why on their deathbed they wanted their children to be around them? Is that why on their deathbed they asked, everything okay now, right? All things settled. What happened to the property? What happened to the rubber estate? What's going on with the tea estate? What's going on with Chuti What's going on with Logabuta? He was planning on eloping, wasn't he? Has he changed his mind yet? And what about the money in the bank account? What about the cat? Seventy-seven years of evidence that they didn't achieve what they wanted. They didn't achieve their purpose of having been born human. So if you're 17 today, look at your grandfather who's done what you would have done had you stayed home or what what would what who would have done what you would do if you went back home and then add 60 years to that and that's what you get mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake it's an error after error after error you know you've heard these sermons enough now to know that we do all of this with one purpose in mind 
and that is to ensure that we achieve happiness. Quite simply, right? We are not trying to invent a rocket to send to the moon. We are not trying to find life on Mars. And we are not trying to dig the earth, trying to find the rare metal. What we are trying to do is something quite simple, to fulfill our purpose of having been born human. <laughs> is that so complicated? Then why do people make it so complicated? Because in a self-centered world, when you have lost the plot, now you're on a different trajectory to the one that you ought to be on. So that's why I say, you know, look outside and you see all these things that people get up to. Observe them. These are the things that you would have done had it not been for the Dhamma. Had your eyes not have been opened by the Dhamma. These are the things that you would have done. Next time you get invited to a party and you can't say, no, you have to go, fair enough. Right? Next time you have to be, be at a wedding. Next time you have to go out and be with friends and you can't say no, you, know, you can't say no all the time, right? You can't say no all the time. Sometimes you have to say yes. So when you do, just be mindful. Be mindfully aware of what's going on. And then you will, you won't insult them, but you will feel sympathy for them. They might insult you. They might say, look at, hmm, dead weight. Where's the glamour? Where's that style? You know, you used to be a lot more stylish. What happened to you? Why did you chop your hair off? You had nice, nice, long, jet black hair. Look at you. What happened now? Where's that hair? Why aren't you coloring up the gray patches? They'll start asking you. Where's that nose ring? They might ask you. Where are those earrings? Where's that necklace? That diamond one? Where's that? Now you used to be clad in more colorful clothes. Why so plain now? So plain. Or shall I get you a plain tea? I think, you know, you're, you're, you've become so plain now that even at a wedding, they'll, they'll probably get you a plain tea. Whilst everyone else is having a, you know, a Bacardi or something, they'll get you a plain tea. You're so plain now. So uninteresting. So boring. Just look at yourselves. So boring. The converse of that is, look at all the things that they have to do to keep themselves interesting. If, you, if, they organize, if, if a party is organized, it's not just enough to have rice of one color, right? That's just, that's not good enough. You need to have, there's white rice, you need to have yellow rice and fried rice and various other kinds of rice. Just the rice. We haven't even gone into the dishes yet. The curries and you know, all the other things. I think the last wedding I went to was mine. Many years ago. Not been to one since. 
So the last wedding I went to, I think they had like what, 20 or 25 odd dishes. And so I was, I was dressed up as you'd expect in the Candian dress. So I was about four size this. And then they gave me a plate. So if you ever, if any of you have that experience, it's like being tied to a tree. Hmm? So ladies, you know what that feels like when you have to be in a sari or something. Hmm? So then they give you a, they give you a plate. You have to hold the plate right out there. You can't bring it any closer. There's several layers of cloth between you and the plate. So eating is like, you know, using a JCB. That was the last wedding I went to. And I had enough of them. I said, not again. No, no, no more weddings. And there were 25 dishes. And, of course, you have to serve yourself from all of it. So you return to your the head table. That's what they call it, right? The head table. And so you have, they give you a plate, something like this. Actually, flatter than that. There's more curvature on this than, than that. I think, they, I think they're mirrors. They're as flat as mirrors, aren't they? Those plates. Because they, they show you all that food and then they give you a plate onto which you can't put half of it. So you're very careful. You can't serve yourself too much because it will be quite embarrassing if you know, on the way back to the head table you drop all of that onto your bride's uh, you know, what do you call it, the bridal. That would be very embarrassing. So you've got to be very careful and you come and you sit down and everyone's looking at you. Sorry, I can't help it. That taste of freedom. Taste of freedom. This is ambrosia. This taste of freedom. So, you know, when you live in society, there are all these expectations that you have to fulfill because that's what makes make other make other people happy. You know, when you're in a certain social level, social strata, there are, you have to keep up with the Joneses, right? You have to keep up with them. Otherwise, you don't belong. So to belong, you have to do what they do. If you live up a certain street in your part of town, Right? There's a certain way in which you have to keep yourself. You have, there's a certain 
frequency with which you have to whitewash the walls. It is, that is how people live there. And you have to change your car every two or three years. That's how it has to be. You can't go out, you can't go to work with the same tie. You have to change it. Right? You're, you, can't go to the, you can't go to two weddings with wearing the same sari. You have to change it. The same jewelry it has to change. Right? You have to show that you, know, you are someone and that's the only time they will accept you as someone who belongs. That is because that is what they maintain. Now you are able to see this clinically because you have stepped back and you look at it through an analytical mind. Those days you were far too engaged in it. You were, you were in it. And so you couldn't see it. Today you can step out, step back and take a, a, a good look at it. And, now you, and, and, and then work out, this is what used to happen. So today, you know, you'll sympathize with yourselves. Or at least who you used to be. So I emphasize, don't expect any help or support from those who live out there to help you get to your destination of happiness because they are completely nuts they don't know what they are doing they don't know where they are going you can't ask a blind man for directions if you are lost, can you? because what are they? blind and lost that is what I see people doing out there Again, I don't mean this in spite. I, I mean this out of sympathy, out of empathy, and I want to do whatever I can to help. But I can only help th those who wish to be awoken. There's one kind of person you can't awake, and that is a person who thinks they're awake. But they're fast asleep. You can't awake them. <coughs> you can't wake them up. But this is the world you have to live in, right? So we have to face that reality. What I ask you to do is to keep your wits about you and always look at these situations insightfully. You know, I think it would be really good advice if parents with children, at least once a week, if you can get together and just discuss, you know, what were the happenings of the, of the past week, like we do at our monastery. Everyone has a teacher, and there are teacher-student meetings every week. So every week the student meets the teacher and discusses how their week went by, what they contemplated, what issues they had to face, and how they overcame those challenges. I think this is something really important for parents to do with their children. Now, even more and better than if you'd done the same thing several years ago, because today you can actually show them the path. You can help them realize the truth of those situations. And, you know, if, if, if they come back and say, this and this happened at school, you can start that conversation with the Dhamma. Right? Okay? Sutta, tell me, why do you think that happened? <clears throat> Someone shouted at me. Someone took something that belonged to me. Right? Rather than Taking that line of questioning to finger pointing or complaining, today you can take that conversation on a different path 
to the Dhamma and start asking them, why do you think that happened? Let's take, let's analyze that situation. Let's look at it through the lens of Dhamma. And what lessons can we learn from it? Because then you teach your children to contemplate on the Dhamma and apply it into practical examples and situations in life. Because these are the things that will give you your victories. Remember, inspiration and motivation can only get you so far. It's that discipline which is the continued application of the Dhamma into real life situations that will actually get you to your destination. So, people will still try to influence you. And they don't do it because they dislike or hate you. They do it because it is, it is in their interest that, they are, that there are more people like them. You know, if I'm trying to pull in one direction, it helps to have as many people in my camp pulling in the same direction, right? So, when someone's trying to do something, say organize a party, it's easier for a few people to get together and do that rather than one person do it. So what they'll do is they'll pick up the phone and they'll tell you, you know, there's a party coming, uh, we'd like you to be, we'd like you to come. And then of course you're going to ask the question, what would you like me to bring? See, so you help them. So that, in, that invitation will come almost automatically. But understand why that invitation is coming to you. See, they can't be happy without your presence. They can't be happy without all that glitter, all that decoration, all the all the flowers and the and, and, and you know and, and the balloons and all that. They they can't be happy without them. <clears throat> they need all that. But a mind doesn't need any of that. The truth is that a mind does not need any of that. This is a mind that has become weak. A mind doesn't need any of these things. Quite simply, you know, the mind is an energy, right? So if anything, the mind will only need energy. So why then does a mind need ice cream? Why does a mind need cake? Why does a mind need yellow rice? Why does a mind need biryani? Why does a mind need Chinese food or Mexican food or Indian food? Why does a mind need any of those things? Why does a mind need a samosa? Or a spring roll. Why does the mind need any of those things? The mind is an energy and those things are matter. So why does the mind and energy need matter? Makes no sense, right? And it's the same reason why the mind cannot be satisfied when the mind goes seeking for it. Because you're trying to give the mind something that it cannot absorb. It cannot grasp. They're very different things. You can add to energy with energy, but you can't add to energy with matter. <clears throat> so constantly and incessantly trying to give the mind something that it cannot be fulfilled with, cannot, cannot be given, is, is never going to be an answer. This is why people are never happy. But when the mind is ignorant, it thinks that it wants this, and so it will never stop going after it. So look out there. Observe what's going on with insight and then you'll understand the plight that the world and everyone in it has got themselves in. Today they talk about you know, global warming. These are problems that are beginning to affect human beings. right? They talk about world hunger. Hmm? 
They talk about uh, STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, and so on. And now they 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 are they're so keen on trying on trying to find solutions to them. But you know this world never spawns beings, be those animals or human beings, that it cannot sustain on its own. Mother Nature is not like that. It will only bring into this world what it can manage, what it can sustain. But then why is it that there is global hunger? Why, is, why, why are people hungry? Why do people not have places to live comfortably? Why, do, why is it that people have to live in shacks in, and in dire poverty when the world, Mother Nature, does not bring into itself what it cannot sustain. You've got to ask this question now and then come up with an answer, a viable answer. See, if I had to convene a convention, this will never happen, I'm just saying, right? If it was down to me to bring together the world leaders, right, a G20 summit or whatever, and talk to them about this is how, this is why these problems have come about and this is what you need to do to address them, you know, I just ask them to come here on a, on a Saturday. That's what I'd ask them to do. Because what they're doing really is they're trying to deal with the symptoms without even touching the, the, the root causes. There's enough for everyone. Absolutely, there's enough for everyone. The world, Mother Nature did not bring in 8 billion people into this world with only resources to feed 2 billion. It doesn't do like that. Nature doesn't work like that. <clears throat> so there isn't really a population problem. But people will dress it up as a population problem. And then they'll say there's not enough room on earth, so next we have to do what? Send people to Mars. Because there's not enough room on earth. Do you think that problem will stop there? Hmm? Once you get to Mars, then what's going to happen there? Same thing over again. So Mars and Earth combined, there still isn't enough room for man. Perhaps that's why there are nine planets and there still won't be enough room. I tell you, there still won't be enough room. Global population is on the rise still. I think very soon it's going to be 10 billion, apparently. Right? And these problems are only get, going to get worse. <clears throat> there's enough food for everyone. But what there isn't enough is when people separate things for themselves. When people cordon off a section of this earth, they say, this is for me, right? And the rest, you, know, you can share it amongst yourselves. Now there isn't enough room for everyone. There isn't enough clean water. Really? No, there's plenty of. There's enough fresh air to breathe for everyone. If people only did that, only did what? Just breathe fresh air and use the water that they need hmm? and just had enough food for themselves. There's enough of that. There's enough land for everyone and more if all people wanted was the plot of land that they needed to live. But that's not enough because greed. 
and separation. See, when you start separating, there's always going to be how much, right? Hmm? Without separation, you can't talk about how much. Agreed? Yeah? So, the moment you can start talking about how much, then now you have a comparator. You can compare now two things. If you and I owned the whole globe now and all of the resources on earth, if that they belong to you just as much as they belong to me, now we can't compare ourselves. <clears throat> so when delusion is in the mind and ego starts to manifest itself, now people need a way to measure and compare each other. Yeah? So you see, now you, you'll understand why the world has become what it is today. Now you need a way to compare each other. So they start with things like this. <coughs> Excuse me. This, they would have started with things like, how much land do you have for yourself? How much is your, your crop? How much is yours? How much is mine? And then they'll also look at, you know, differences. Physical differences. How tall are you? These are things that set people apart. How fair are you? Right from that to how much land have you got? How much have you got? How much have I got? How much have they got? How much have we got? Right? These are questions that people have to have answers to because const they constantly have a need to compare themselves with each other. Why compare? Because after you separate, you have to compare. You know, they come hand in hand, don't they? Separation and comparison. They come hand in hand. The moment you separate, now you, you, you have two things of a different size. So now you have to compare. And this comparison is fuel for the fire of ego. That's what it is. So this is what is going on out there. So how, how can anyone in their sane mind expect any help or support from a world that is constructed on this framework, right? on, a, on a, a world that is constructed to help sustain and preserve the self? What support can you ever get, dear children, to help yourselves out of misery, out of suffering? Absolutely none. So if anyone ever comes to me and says, Right. I mean, I understand the Dhamma, so now I want to practice it, but go home and practice it. They haven't understood the Dhamma, is all I can say. That doesn't make sense. Now you've got to understand why it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because they're asking for something that they can't find here. They're asking for something. That something they say exists out there. So this is a mind that yearns something that they have separated, something that, they gives, that gives them pleasure, something that the mind needs as a support. Right? That is what the mind is looking for. So how can one say that I have understood the Dhamma and then say I'm going to go home and practice it? Because what are they looking for when they go home? All the, all the above things. Right? So those two sentences cannot exist mutually. They can't cohabit. It's mutually exclusive. You are different. You are different because you have begun to understand 
that freedom and happiness are only in relieving yourself or freeing yourself from these attachments. Yeah, you've understood. Uh, you've, we began to understand that freeing yourself, liberating yourself, is only there through the understanding of Dhamma. And what I'm asking you to do, ladies and gentlemen, is when you're there because you have no choice right now to be here, whilst you're there, apply this knowledge, apply this understanding into those real life situations and see the world as it is, as it really is. Because out there you only have sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, nothing more than that. The mind's job is simply to interpret that. You know the five jobs of the mind. is to receive, is to recognize, is to respond. What else? Register, sorry, so, so to receive, to register, to recognize, to respond, and to perceive, right? So this is the job of the mind. The mind's purpose is that and that alone. Whenever the mind starts to do anything over and above that, now you need to come to your senses that this is not right. It, is not, it doesn't make sense for me to continue this line of inquiry. It does not make sense for me to allow, <coughs> excuse me, to allow the mind to continue on this path because I'm just walking into a pit. See if you have your wits about you. This is what you need. This is the sense that you need while you're out there. Whenever you experience pleasure, be careful, be cautious. Because going after that will only further intensify the self, at least the perception of the self. You know, every time you, you feed it, this is like a fire. Every time you feed it, that fuel keeps, keeps it growing. And then you'll need more of it. Just ask yourself, you know, how come you started small, but now you've built something big? Because whenever you, wherever you started, whenever you started, and wherever and whenever you started, that never satisfied. Right? I'm talking about a time when you had no understanding of the Dhamma. Right? If you go back, you, everyone started small, didn't they? Everyone starts small. <clears throat> if you take us as a human race, or as you as individuals, as a family, as a person, we all start small. But when, why, didn't, why, why was small never enough? And I was talking to this, this Buddha the other day, and I was, I was saying, you know, think about you know, really successful people, or people who are considered to be successful. You know, Today, there are people who own islands. There are islands to their name. Where did they start? Perhaps they started thinking, you know, I want to be a successful person. I want to be a well-educated person. I want to own a house. That's where they started. But today, they own islands. How did it go that far? Isn't that proof that it's never enough? Isn't that proof that that line of success is not a line that has an end? You know, the, 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 it's like those tube lines that they have. Those lines don't have an end, do they? Because it's a tube. So, so you know, they, some, have you heard of the circle line? It's a circle. That's why they call it the circle line. It doesn't end. So it goes just like this. It's a circle. Right? So whenever you try and Look at people out there and ask yourself the question, you know, is that lifestyle, is that, are those choices that they have made, 
of any use of any value and have they taken them anywhere closer to achieving their satisfaction and fulfillment and their purpose in life. And it hasn't. So therefore, you need to understand that you walking the same path is simply like being led by a blind man. But people will continue to tell you things. They'll try to convince you. Okay? They'll try to, they'll say that we are brainwashing you. They'll tell you that, you know, what, <clears throat> what, look at what has happened to you. You've lost all your style. You've lost all your glamour. You've lost your, your good looks. And all because you started walking this path of Dhamma. Right? This is not how you should live. You should, you know, be, live nice. You should live posh. Right? But look at all of you now. So they'll, they'll start telling you these things. And if they have already started, they'll continue saying these things. Don't fall for that trap. Don't fall into that trap. Why do I say these things? Because you've come here and you want me to help you to not fall into, not become prey to those predators. Only if you save yourself can you save them. And again, I'll remind you, they don't do it out of spite. They're not doing it because they, they dislike you and they want to make your life hell. They're only doing it because they don't know what they're doing at all, either. So when they haven't helped themselves, of course they can't help you. Now there was a question that had come through a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to try and give you an answer to that. <coughs> this, uh, we, talk, we talked about jati in one of those sermons, and someone had asked a question. And I'm going to try and give you an answer to that question. So let me just quickly draw it on the board, what we were talking about that day. You know this is the mind. And you know that each thought arises, as, I, as we discussed just a few moments ago, with one purpose, right? and that is to do the five things that a mind is supposed to do. But there's a disease that happens to the mind, okay? And that is what we call jati. This is what the Buddha refers to as dukkha. <coughs> so they are one and the same. Okay? This is not the dukkha that we refer to in day-to-day -day life. <coughs> Grievances, sorrow, fear, these things are dukkha as a result of this. Okay? That's a different kind of dukkha. So that is not the dukkha that we are trying to find answers to. But that is what people out there are looking for answers. So hunger, is one of these This is, if I call it, uh, worldly suffering. This is what people will be looking for answers to. This is what psychology tries to address. And this is what psychiatrists will be interested in. How do they deal with this? Because they don't know about this. They don't know about jati. The question was this. There was something like this, as best as I can remember. When, when jati happens to the mind, 
Okay, when jati happens to the mind, karma happens. A chitta is born when I comes into contact. So this is an example. I comes into contact with sight, right? This is when a chitta is born. The chitta is born to interpret this sight. Yeah? All okay so far? This is a vipaka. This is a vipaka. This is vipaka. Them coming into contact is also vipaka driven, right? And the mind, the, the, the chitta being born to interpret that vipaka is also vipaka. So the question was when jati happens, it releases energy or it produces vipaka. It produces the energy for vipaka and it throws it back up. Yeah? So the, uh, either the lady or the gentleman who would pose the question asked, so if, if this jati is the one that re- releases this energy, then why does it come back on a different jati? This one. Why is it that that energy comes back onto this jati? Do you understand the question first? Before I try and give you an answer. So I'm, de- I'm dealing with two chittas here. Yeah, and remember, I think it was last week or the week before, I said each jati is a brand new one. Okay? Although they're identical, they're brand new. Brand new because even jati is anicca by nature. So each instance of jati is a result of the causes that bring it that manifested. Okay? So, what about the self? So, just as I'm, I'm taking a sidetrack from here, which one of these two things is anicca? Self and jati. Which one of these two things are anicca? This is a quiz. Self or jati? Or both? Is it this? Is it this? Or is it both? What is anicca after all? First of all, what is anicca? What do I mean by anicca? Cause and effect. Yeah. Causes drive the manifestation of an effect. Okay. So, is it self? Is it jati? Or is it both? Are both of these cause and effect driven? What do you think? Okay, what about self? What about self? Cause and effect driven? No? Yes, right? Hmm? Don't let me lure you into a trap. No, I'm talking about self. Yeah. Hmm? Which one? Self? Sure? Uh-huh. Okay. So I think let's uh, work that one out first <laughs> before I go and answer the question. I think so, no, it, it's, a, it's a good point we've come to. As if by merit we've come to a good point. Okay. <clears throat> 
You have children, sir? Yeah, yeah. Who do you have? Son, daughter? Just a daughter. Yeah? No sons. Okay. What is your son's name? No, no. What is your son's name? Just answer the question. What is your son's name? Ah. Okay. How old is your son then? No answer. If I ask you, is the self characteristically anicca? The, the real answer you can give me is can't answer. Because there's no such thing. You, we've never seen a self. We've never come across one. If you've never seen an alien and I ask you how tall are they, you can't answer that question. Yeah. Self has never come into existence. It has never been there. You've never come across it. So you can't answer a question I ask you about the self. When jati comes about, it gives you the perception of self. But that is not self. That is why self, if I ask you the question, is this anicca? You can't answer that question really. That is why when the Buddha was asked this question, the Buddha says, you are asking the wrong question. He doesn't say yes and he doesn't say no. He could have simply said no, right? Is the rupa the self? He could have said no, the rupa is not the self. He doesn't say that. He says you are asking the wrong question. Because you can't answer yes or no about something, an attribute of something that doesn't exist. Like the gentleman can't answer the question because he doesn't have a son. I ask him, how old is your son? Who is your son? You know, What is his name? What school does he go to? You can't answer. The, the, none of the answers he'll give me will be correct. If he said, my son doesn't have a name. Imagine that. Hmm? That is an answer he could have given, but he doesn't because that makes no sense. What is your son's name? You ask someone who doesn't have a son. He says, my son doesn't have a name. Is that the right answer? No, it's very misleading, isn't it? How old is your son? My son is not any old. The only response that will come, that can that come back can come back would be, "You're asking the wrong question because I don't have a son. If I don't have a son, I can't tell you about any of its attributes. Now, therefore, you can't answer any question I ask you about self, because self does not exist. It never has. But what has existed?" is jati. Jati comes about with every single chitta. This is a disease of the mind. This is a disease of the mind. And when it happens, you sense a self. The sense of a self is like the Santa Claus. We talked about this. yeah. Like the, like the guy dressing up as the Santa, but not the real Santa. So if I ask you, how old is the real Santa? What answer can you give me? Where does Santa live? You say in the North Pole. Yeah, but that's in the fantasy, that's in the fairy tale. Where does the real fan Santa live? You're going to have to tell me. You're going to have to burst my bubble, right? And you're going to have to say, no, no, Swami, no, sir. Didn't your mother tell you? Right? It's about time you learned this. The real Santa doesn't exist. There is no such person. Then who's that guy? So he's just a man who's dressed like Santa. Where does he live? Oh, he lives in Kotta. <laughs> that you can say. 
because the next center lives in Pandipitiya and the next center lives in Homagam. Hmm? That you can say, but you can't say anything about the real center because the real center does not exist. He only lives in a fantasy, lives in a fairy tale. Yeah. So, self, I was, I was really misleading you by asking that question, so apologies for that. The, the self, you cannot answer any question about the self. How big is it? In fact, even saying it doesn't have a size means you know that it doesn't have a size. That's why I say the real answer is, I can't answer. No answer. How do you feel when you feel, when you feel self? No answer. Because you've never felt it. So how can you say? Is the self unitured? No answer. You don't know because you've never come across one. And the Buddha has never spoken of the self. Because he doesn't come into this world to talk about things that don't exist. What he does is talk about things that do exist. But when this comes about, it gives you the sense of a self. Now if I ask you the sense of a self, what are the characteristics of that? Now you can say that is of course anicca. Because the sense of a self is the effect of the cause that is the jati. Yeah. So it's only when jati comes about do you sense the sense of self. So this is all cause and effect driven. But self is not cause and effect driven because there is no such thing. Make sense? Yeah? So, so then why do you feel that you are an, an, an entity? Is it because you are one? You feel an identity, don't you? You feel I am a man, I am a woman, I'm, this is my name, this is my age, this is where I am from, I am I'm dark, I am fair, I am tall, I am and so on, you feel all these things and you feel that they are all part and parcel, they are, you come as a package, yeah, that is how you would feel and you give that package an identity, right you, you, can, you, can, you, you really can feel what I'm talking about, can't you, hopefully, you're not Arahants yet <laughs> no, you know what I'm talking about, you, you sense that feeling and, and the best evidence that it still happens is you know, you will feel the 11 great fires they'll bother you because only if there is something, there is an entity, can things happen to that entity. Like death. Death can only happen to an entity. An entity that you create in your own mind. Let me break it down and make it simpler. <clears throat> um, take the example of... I'll come back to this in a moment. Okay? Let's say... man looks at another person okay so two people looking at each other so this is a this is a person with ignorance this is a person with ignorance this is a person without ignorance okay they're both observing this person right let's first talk about what the eye sees the eye will see exactly the same thing. This, this person's eyes and this person's eye will see exactly the same thing. So here is an arahant and here we can say is a prutakjana. Okay? So if you want, I'll give you another one. A seka. So sotapani. So we have three. A prutakjana. Sorry. Uh, yeah, okay. This is the prutakjana. 
This is the Sota panel. This is the Arahant. Okay. All three of them are observing this individual. Right, now I'm going to ask you questions. These are rhetoric questions, so I want you to think in your minds without giving the answer, because I want each and every one of you to think on your own. And when you give out the answer, it doesn't help other people think. These three people, what do they see through their eyes? Do you think it's the same thing? Or do you think it's different? Now you'll have an answer. So check this answer with that answer. They see the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Now, of course, they'll see from a different angle. That's not what I'm talking about. Right? They still see the, see the same thing. Are you all clear on that? Any doubts? How come they can see the same thing? Don't they see only color, or only muscle, only bone, only skin? No, they see the same thing. So what is different then about these three individuals? That's the next question we come to. <clears throat> a Prutakjana may study for biology, psychology, right, whatever, that this unit is made up of mind and body. Okay? So if they're educated, they'll know that this is mind and body. But what they'll... So, so they, they, they can have this knowledge. And the, the Sotapan and the Arahan, they can also go to school and they can learn that this is mind and body. Okay? But if you ask the Prutakjana, so this is mind and body. What they can't help perceiving is that although they, they say that this is a mind and body, this mind and body both belong to an individual. So they'll say that this is so-and-so's mind and this is this guy's body. So this mind and body belong to this person because there's a person that they perceive. There's an entity that they perceive. There's an individual that they'll perceive. Whereas the truth is, there's only mind and body. So there's a third entity that he can't help perceiving. I'll prove this to you. Look at me for a second. Can you see just mind and body, or do you see someone else? You see someone else. You see, there's a swam, there's Swami Nuhansa, this there's this Swami Nuhansa, that Swami Nuhansa. You'll have a name for that Swami Nuhansa. You'll know various things about that Swami Nuhansa. So you'll struggle to simply see mind and body here. Right now, do this for a second. <clears throat> see, if I were to tell you that this is this is the mind, this is my mind. Right, this is just an energy. Okay, now see for a moment if you can perceive this aggregation, okay, this, this complete thing as simply an energy and muscles, bones, this mass just attached to it. See if you can perceive it like that for a second. You'll struggle because you will again feel that this is the Swami Nuhanse trying to explain what he is about. That is because Whenever jati happens in the mind, you can't help yourself from feeling that third entity. Because you can't help, it, help yourself feeling that way either. Even when I'm talking about it, you'll, think, you'll say, okay, I am looking at Swami Nuhanse, and Swami Nuhanse is made of mind and body. So this is Swami Nuhanse is made of mind and body. That Swami Nuhanse nonsense does not exist really. 
what there is is mind and body and this mind and body even you know even if you accept that this is mind and body and no swamin mahanse you still think that this mind and body are fixed entities so the body is a fixed entity the mind is a fixed entity meaning there is such a thing called a mind and there is such a thing called a body and we are talking about that mind we are talking about that body so say if we were to cut this arm right and now this arm lay here hmm now i ask you the question whose arm is this whose arm is this this person's arm right you can't help feeling that way first i need you to acknowledge the issue then i then then we can work through a solution to that you can't help feeling that this arm belongs to this body or to this person because you always see this as a package this is one single unit therefore this belongs to this i'm talking about the perception of it now if an arahant if if you took this body and the, and the arm to an arahant who's a surgeon right the arahant is not going to ask what is this he's going to know that this is an arm right and he will sew it back to the body if it's in his power and ability to do that but what he doesn't perceive so here this is the very subtle thing he doesn't perceive that this is intrinsically part of this it has to be part of this so much so that if this guy got a transplant say a heart transplant from this person right what would this guy say i don't know of course he wouldn't be saying much if he got a heart transplant let's say he got a some other transplant maybe a skin graft or something right uh, what can you transplant and still be alive a kidney right <clears throat> so say this guy donated his kidney right now he would look at him and go he's got what my kidney won't he say that he's got my kidney when you donate blood hmm, you come to the monastery and you donate blood right <laughs> and what do you donate my blood hmm so you feel really proud about it don't you i imagine you went into the hospital where they took all that blood and now it's pumping around the bodies of all the patients there that you walk around right and you say see this is my blood that's keeping you alive so you better be grateful first things first it's okay you feel that way because you are still sick so it's okay when you have a cold it's okay that you sneeze it's all right chill <laughs> okay it's okay to sneeze when you have a cold what's not okay is if you sneeze without a cold or if you keep on sneezing that's not okay or if you have a cough and there's nothing nothing wrong with you if you have a fever and there's nothing wrong with you because those are symptoms of a disease so you can't help yourself from feeling that it is your kidney you feel that that is why you also feel that that's why this guy feels this is my wife he can't help feeling that that's why you know see i i'm 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 relating this to real life example so you can really understand what i'm trying to get across to here folks say these guys they they were married for a couple of years 
okay and they lived happily no problems right but two years later she uh, got into a relationship with somebody else okay now when he sees her it's very difficult isn't it for him he feels some resentment he feels that this is my wife with another man you can't help that feeling isn't this why people suffer hmm? they they're not prepared to see their wife with another man they're not prepared to see their husband with another woman huh but where is that it's all in the mind where when you know what about this person became this person's wife what about this person became this person's wife you can't tell me it's the ring on her finger hmm what about this person so make sure you understand the question i ask you what about this person has become this person's wife anything nothing there's nothing about this person that has become this person's wife but then why does this man say this is my wife's arm and then why does this man say that my wife is now seeing another man my wife is cheating on me with another man because wife exists not here where does wife exist yeah because it is the jati that happens in this mind that creates this world that's why dukkho loke patittita this entire world all these relationships all these connections hmm, they're all created on dukkha or jati when jati happens to the mind things that didn't exist until now these are all jati dam right when jati is there those projections onto the outside world as fixed entities because once it's a fixed entity you need to give it a name you need to give it a label right so they have to be different labels now you know in your family for instance you can't you can't label all of them the same thing you can't call your your you know there's only one wife right the others are your daughters right there's only one husband the others are your sons there's only one father one mother and so on right so but they're all entities you can't help feeling that they're all one unit one package one fixed thing so now you have to distinguish each one from the other therefore you have to give it names so based on this relationship that only you have built within your own mind you have constructed that relationship in your own mind you now give it names husband wife son daughter grandfather grandmother and so on yeah see now can a mother not by mistake now let me reword that can't a mother by mistake take the wrong child from the hospital home and think that this is my child hmm she can right so now her real child her biological child is in the hospital or has been taken away by some other woman right something happens to that child does the does the original and the biological mother cry does it affect her does it bother her no not a, not not, a, not at all so now there's a child that is not the biological child right? and she snaps her toe on something who feels pain both child and mother how 
You can't tell me it's a biological connection. There is no biological connection there, clearly. So how does it hurt them? Because the mother, that, that mind, because there's no mother really, there's just a mind. There's just mind and a body, right? That mind perceives that I am a mother and it perceives that this is a child. This is my child. Those perceptions, therefore, give rise, you know, this is, this is a cable that connects these two islands together. This cable connects these two islands together so that when, one happens, when something happens to this, there's a message that, that travels along that cable to the other. And then when there's a shock here, there's a shock here. That's why you suffer. See, I'm trying to help you out of your suffering, folks. Right? Mothers, fathers in the house, husbands, wives in the house, hmm? sons, daughters, parents in the house. When things happen to people that you love, love is that cable that connects you. Oh, love is love is an emotion that travels on that cable that connects the two. These these two islands, they're they're islands. They're not connected. An island, by definition, is a is a separate mass of land. It's not connected to something else. But you sense that connection. This is because of jati. So for as long as jati exists, you cannot help yourself from feeling that pain. Grief will come to you. You can't help it. Bereavement will come to you. You can't help it. Sorrow will come to you. You can't help it for as long as this cable lies between these two islands. So see what's going on here. There's this mind and there's body. Okay? That's also not a fixed mind and neither is it a fixed body, but I'm not going to go there that far yet. Let's just, let's just take it at this level. There's a mind and a body. But if you ask this person, it is this person's mind and this person's body. See, well, that's why when the body gets, gets hurt, okay, so say, let's fix the arm back. Hmm? Say a bee stung. Okay, and now it's swollen. Okay? Technically, who should, who should, who's the only person that can hurt? That it can hurt? The person with the swelling, right? But if this is this person's relation, parent, loved one, it hurts them also. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't hurt them as much. Not seen that? Sometimes, you know, some, you know it's so much so that, you know, I've seen where, you know, on some occasions where people, uh, all they want is the other person to show some emotional reaction to something that has happened to them. That is the only thing they want. If you love me, why didn't you cry when I told you about what happened to me? Hmm? So because you didn't cry, I know that you really didn't. You don't, you don't really love me. So their definition of love means you have to cry when something happens to me. They need that validation. So th <laughs> this is this insane world I'm talking to you about. This is the world out there. This is this self-centered world I'm talking about. I want, you know, I said, open your eyes and live insightfully. Try and understand what's going on out there. I want you to learn this, understand this, and go out there and see how these things happen. Try and spot these things happening out there. So you see, now, there's mind and body, right? But this is Prutak Jana. They, 
all three of these people perceive, sorry, they, they see the same thing. Okay, they see the same thing. Now remember, seeing is all, there's, there's perception part of seeing also, right? Because seeing is not something just the eye can do. You need the mind also, right? So, how does seeing happen? Sight comes into contact with the eye and the chitta is born, right? And in this chitta, you have all five of the aggregates, right? So, receiving, registering, uh, recognizing, responding, and perception. All these things happen here. But, here's a distinction. That perception is simply to recognize mind and body. I'll repeat. There's right perception and there's wrong perception. Okay? Right perception is simply perceiving mind and body. Wrong perception is perceiving when the right perception has happened, mind and body has been perceived, now wrong perception is perceiving another entity that, is, that goes beyond mind and body. Like this is my wife's mind and my wife's body. My husband's mind, my husband's body. My child's mind, my child's body. Tom's mind, Tom's body. That's why, as I said, when you donate blood, you feel you have donated your blood and now it's your blood running in someone else's body. You know, some people don't like that. I think in some cultures, they, they don't like it. You know, they don't, because, you know, this was given to me by the Almighty and so this is mine. It's not for us to share with each other. Some people feel that way because, you see, that is that separation created in the mind. And some people will say, uh, if you have touched it, I don't want it. Just think about it. If you have touched it, I don't want it. You know, why do some people, people don't like to wear used clothes. I'm not talking about everyone, I'm saying sometimes people don't like to use, wear, wear used clothes. Uh, or they might not like to, uh, say, eat a half-eaten biscuit. Let me give you an example, right? Say there are two people, one's good-looking, you like, you like them, or maybe they're your relation, and there's another person, okay? No relationship, no connection, uh, and they are, they're healthy. No ailments, no illnesses, no nothing, right? The two of them have each eaten half a biscuit. And it's on, the, it's on a dish. Now, we ask a third person to say, come and take that, eat, eat one of those biscuits. Some people will choose one biscuit but not the other. If they're good looking, if they like what they see, if they like that person, they'll say, I'll take that biscuit. What about the other biscuit? No, I don't like that biscuit. Why? Because it has something about it that is only in their mind and it's not in the biscuit. That's why. That's why. So there's an ugly man and there's a pretty man. Say a girl. There's an ugly girl, there's a pretty girl. So where do ugly girls and pretty girls exist? Hmm? Where? In the mind, right? So, here's the observer. Here's the person we are taking for the experiment. And she thinks she's pretty, and he thinks she's ugly. Comparatively. We're always comparatively, how else, right? Because if only they existed in the world, huh? imagine all the, all the pretty girls were 
killed and now only the ugly girls exist now will he not say that actually no i, I don't mind <laughs> huh? the, the the ugly all of a sudden becomes becomes pretty that's that's the way it is right so now they each eat half a biscuit hmm? and he's hungry so this is ugly she's ugly whatever his definition of ugly is okay let's say his def his definition of pretty is say she has to be dark and she has to have uh, say uh, one uh, uh, I'll, I'll make it more realistic right I'm, I'm trying to be politically correct but i'm trying to, you know i'm going to then digress from the point here say he believes that a pretty girl is pretty is fair okay uh, rosy lips uh, uh, dimple cheeks hmm? uh, maybe uh, nice long hair so none of you qualify ladies i'm afraid right and uh, stylish none of you qualify exciting none of you qualify because you're all just boring right so so you know he he thinks they're pretty she's pretty now he wants a biscuit whereas this girl is ugly by his definition she's dark right she's maybe got uh, pimples all over her face maybe she's got freckles maybe she's is short maybe she's uh, you know whatever his definition is you know i'm just making this up that's not my definition of ugly so please i hope none of you are offended i'm just saying this is his definition this is a make believe situation okay now if these two biscuits were served on a dish and we didn't tell him this one came from her this one came from the other and said but it comes from these two people pick one there's going to be some hesitation there's going to be a bit of hesitation and then we say well this biscuit came from her this biscuit came from him now immediately you can't help but feel this person can't help feeling that he has an affinity to one versus the other he like one more than the other where did that come from which part of the biscuit has it in the chemical composition of the biscuit where is that it's not there but why does the man feel that hesitation because there's something that creates in his mind is created in his mind that is not in the biscuit out there you know in weddings how when the uh, the newly married couple they get to drink out of the same glass right that's a, that's a thing isn't it yeah so they give get, they get given this glass sometimes with a straw right and what is customary they have to both drink from the same spot right <laughs> either the same straw or you have to turn the glass round and and, <laughs> and and put your lips right where the other person put put their lips right think about why just think about it you know we need to try and make sense of that mad world that's what we here to do making sense of a mad, of a crazy world that's what we here to do why and also think about why if someone drinks from one part of a glass right and you don't like that person but you have to drink it you'll turn it around so you drink from a spot that where they didn't put put their lips on why think about it and i can guarantee that person has no illness right no uh, no diseases no, no contract no, nothing will be contracted but you still do that you can't help it because there's something that is created in your mind that does not exist out there that is this identity that is that person that is that individual 
You can't help projecting that onto the outside world because you sense that within. So when this guy looks at that biscuit, this is the pretty girl, that biscuit is also pretty. When this guy looks at this biscuit, and that is from the ugly girl, now he'll say that biscuit is also ugly because it has something about her. That is why you know, young people, when they get into a, you know, a relationship or you know, they're still living in a part, you, you know, if you haven't seen this already, then, and if you still want to keep your boys at home, right, you'll see it's very shortly they'll have you know, maybe locks of hair in their books uh, or maybe under their pillows. Right? Or maybe a handkerchief huh? from, their, from, their, from their partner right? locked away in, in a drawer or somewhere. Why? Think about it. Think about why. Now, what's in hair? Keratin. That's what's in hair. It's a protein. Hmm? If you took it to the laboratory, they'll tell you it's just a protein. Right? But there's something in that hair that you will not find in the laboratory. A chemical analysis will never identify that element. That is called Jati Dhamma. Because it is not there in it. That's why they will never find it in the lab. It is created in the mind of the individual who observes it. Because of Jati. Now could they not come home with the wrong handkerchief? Is that not possible? They two friends, they you know, they, they went into the washroom, two girls, you know, one the one girl the boy likes, the other girl not very much, right? The two girls went in one after the other, right? And then when they come back out, the boy goes in to the washroom and now he sees a handkerchief. Now he's not sure who might have left this. Is it the girl I like or is it the other girl? Right? So, you know, uh, he'll t- he'll take the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> And let's, because, you know, that's, that's the vexation. There's so much vexation that he's looking for some relief from that. So he'll take the benefit of the doubt, he'll take the handkerchief, put it in his pocket, and bring it home. And now it'll go under his pillow. And every night before he goes to sleep, he'll take it out, he'll, he'll give it a kiss. Right? All the while thinking, what, he's, what, what, what do you think he's doing while he's doing that? She's with me. A part of her is with me. Where is that part? Uh, is it in the skin cells, in the handkerchief? What are skin cells after all? It's just dead protein. Not dead protein, but just, just, just dead skin cells. Right? It's just protein. Again, keratin. Uh, that's all there is. But you know, you understand fully well, don't you, that he senses something that is not in there. Are you all with me? Yeah. He senses something that's not in there. Why? Why doesn't someone else sense that? Because it's not in there. Now imagine if someone were to come and take it away from him. Say, you know, parents are doing a deep clean. You know, they're, they're moving home. And now they're doing a deep clean. right? So the boy goes to class or somewhere. And when he comes back, he lifts the pillow up and it's not there. Huh? What happened? Mother had come into the, into the room and, you know, being nice, as mothers always do. Right? He, she has cleaned the bedroom for him. And because there was a handkerchief that, didn't, that clearly doesn't belong to a boy, right? so what the mother did was take it and, uh, you know, and, and maybe threw it in the bin or something. Right? When the boy comes home and he lifts the pillow and sees that the handkerchief has gone missing, what do you think he's going to be? He's going to have a fit. Right? Then he's going to ask, now, where's, where's the handkerchief? Now he's going to have a fight. 
He might even get into an argument with his mother, maybe have a fight with his mother over a handkerchief. He might get angry, maybe even hit the mother. How dare you take things that belong to me? Give it back. Where is it? Why do you take my things without asking from me? Why did you come into my bedroom? All for what? A handkerchief. What part of the girl is in the handkerchief? Absolutely none. All because when he sees that handkerchief, he can't help feeling, sensing an identity, a person, an individual associated with that handkerchief. That is because of Jati Dhamma. When there's Jati on the, in the mind, Jati Dhamma is projected, and all things here they they have they become they, they they you know ownership becomes an attribute of all things. Things are there to use, not to own. But you can't help that when Jati happens in the mind. So you know these are this is why I urge you to you know start to see the world outside, interpret it through the Dhamma, and see you know you know if you if you have a child like that. You've got to be really sympathetic towards that child. You know, hitting them, beating them, shouting at them is not the answer because they can't help it. Would you whack someone who's sneezing out sputum because they're sick and they're ill? Would you whack someone because they're coughing and because they're, they're, they're ill? Would you? No, right? Because you know they can't help it. So in much the same way, when people out there, they, their behavior is representative of the disease that they have, which is jati, they are always going to have those sort of conduct. They will do things that are typical of the disease of, of jati. You, they can't help it. It's not that they're doing it to spite you or to get, make you angry. No, no, no. You know, when children, they start rolling on the floor, they start trying to make life hell for you and screaming out of their guts saying, I want this, I want that, I want that video game, I want this car, I want this, this, that and the other, I want this phone. Right? When they start screaming and yelling at the top of their voice, asking for those things, you know, the first thing you should do as parents is have sympathy towards them. They're not doing that to make you angry. They don't, they're not doing that because they, they, they don't want to be obedient to you. They're not trying to be disobedient to you. They have lost control. You know, they, they, have, they, have, they have fallen ill. Their mind is ill now. So the mind feels that the only way that I can, I can experience any relief is when I get what I want. So they can't help it. So what can they do? That is why they are behaving like that. Not because they're angry with you, they want to make you angry. But, you know, when parents don't understand this, they might think, see my child, he always wants to make me angry. He's doing this to make me angry. I've heard parents say that. That is not true, ladies and gentlemen. They don't do things to make you angry, they do things because they can't help it. In the same way that when you see your wife, you can't help feeling that she's your wife. In the same way that when you see your child, you can't help feeling that she, he's your child or she's your child. You know, if you can't help it, how can the poor child help it? These are all diseases of the mind and these are the symptoms that you see. We talk about sentimental value, hmm? things having sentimental value. Now your, say your grandmother's ring, hmm? if you still have it. Now, or, or maybe your grandmother's tiara. 
if you have it. Uh, or maybe your, your grandfather's suitcase, his briefcase, you know, he left it for you. He gave it to your father, your father gave it to you, you're going to give it to your son, you know, that's the family heirloom. Hmm? These things have what value? Sentimental value. Absolutely, I agree 100%. They're all sentimental value. That's why it doesn't mean anything to somebody else. That's just old stuff to someone. Old stuff. Sometimes, you know, your young ones might come and, you know, just chuck it in the bin because then you'll ask, why did you throw it? Because it was old, Amma. Do you know my grandmother gave it to me? Do you know how precious it is to me? It was old, it was rotting, so I threw it. The child will say. Can you blame the child for that? No, because he doesn't feel what you feel about it. Because it's not in it. That is what this Putakjana experiences when he looks at that person. The Arahant doesn't see that. Not see it, the Arahant doesn't perceive it. The Arahant only perceives that ring. The Arahant perceives the tiara. The Arahant perceives the briefcase. It has a briefcase, but he doesn't perceive it as something that belongs to someone. He doesn't perceive it that way. He doesn't perceive sentimental value. He'll understand that things have conventional value. So he'll know that a briefcase is more expensive and more valuable than maybe you know a, a shopping bag. That he'll understand because he understands the world. He understands how things work. Right? That is conventional value. That he understands. But what he doesn't understand, what he does not understand, what he doesn't perceive is those things that are these sentimental values. That's why he can look at his child crying and not have any grief about it, not have any sorrow about it. You know, remember, you know, in the sermons, Guru Hamdra would have said, you know, one day you're going to get to a point where you know, someone will bring up to you your most loved one and they'll you know, start slicing them and chopping them into pieces and that shouldn't bother you. That is, that is possible when you stop sensing this imaginary identity within that mind and body aggregation. If it's just a mind and body, right? It's just a mind and body. That's all it is. A body is a body is a body. There's a body of water. There's a body of land. There's a body of uh, you know, glass. There's a body of ceramic. There's a body of something else, wood. You know, they're just bodies, so there's a body of muscle. How, does, how is that body any special or any more different than any of the other bodies that I just talked about? They're all just body. What is a body after all? It's a collection. A body is simply a collection. You know, you say, this is my body. What are you talking about? A collection of stuff, right? Even if you take it at the most, at the most you know, simple level, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, you know, muscle, bones and ligaments and you know, all the other stuff, the tissues, they all come together. This is a body. When you say a body of water, what does that mean? What's a body of water? A collection of water. Yeah. So what is this then? You say this is your body. What is a body after all? Then? A collection. So when you say it's a collection, doesn't that turn on a light in your mind? Going So it's, if it's a collection, it's not a one thing. It's not a one thing. It's a collection. So a collection that keeps on coming together at every single moment. 
<clears throat> so it's not like you're going to see them disperse and then come back again and then disperse and come back again. No. But there are causes constantly manifesting it. Those causes are constantly there. That is why constantly it's being manifested. And the best example I can give you for that is the example of the pen that is still up here because there's energy being delivered to it every moment. The one moment that comes when energy stops being delivered to this, it's going to drop. So at t equals 1, it's up here. At t equals 2, it's up here. On both occasions, because of energy. Right? But each packet of energy was an individual and discrete packet of energy. In much the same way, when the same causes come together, you get the same result. But they're individual and discrete aggregations of those causes. So that is what really happens when we talk about mind and body. These are the, these are the, the things that aggregate. But you see, you can't help feeling that there's another person there. Now, <clears throat> even look at yourselves, for instance. Right? I'll give you a, a, a simple thing to think about and see if you can do it in your mind. Right? See if you can do this. Food on a plate. Okay? Imagine this. this. Food on a plate. Now it's time for you to eat. You mix the food. You put it in your mouth. You chew it. Right? What's the next thing to do? Swallow it. Spit it out. Back onto the plate. Maybe another plate. Okay? If I ask you to eat it now, isn't there a bit of a reluctance, maybe a slight hesitation? Maybe an even a slight repulsion to it. Huh? Two seconds ago, it was in the mouth with the same stuff as it is now on the plate. In your mouth, what was there? Chewed up food and saliva. Right? What is there on the plate now? The same thing. But if I ask you to pick it up and put it in your mouth, again, in your mouth now, you feel a bit of repulsion. Why? Because it came from someone. But imagine that was a sauce. Right? We can get it to be the same texture, right? same texture, but because we've added some kind of sauce to it. Now it's okay. But once it goes into the mouth and it comes out, you know, in the mouth it's ugly, right? It's saliva. It's yucky. It's repulsive. What is saliva after all? It's a carbonic substance. Right? There are, if you put it into the, take it to the laboratory, Organic substance, yeah? Organic substance. Right? If you take it into the laboratory, you'll find all sorts of chemicals and all sorts of elements in it. That's what it is. Right? It's just a secretion, a bodily secretion. Like sweat, huh? tears, saliva, and so on. But, you know, when you see saliva there, you can't help thinking that it came from someone or something. Not something, it came from someone. There's, a, there's an objectification of that. There's a, you know, you, you project that this came from someone. That's why I can give you enough examples and more. I imagine you are asked to come and take a seat somewhere and you know someone offers their seat to you. And when they stand up, you know, you can see it's all sweaty. Hmm? It's all sweaty. Now you're asked to sit there. Now whose sweat is it? Huh? It's their sweat. So if it's their sweat, now you don't like it, do you? Uh, no, I don't want that one. 
It's okay if it's your sweat, isn't it? Or is it still yucky? <laughs> Sometimes it can still be yucky. But what is sweat? Most of it is just water. Hmm? Beyond that, it's just some minerals excreted by the body. But why do you have this repulsive feeling towards that? Because you see more than sweat. You see that sweat comes from someone. And you don't like that. You don't like that. That's why, you know, I'm going to take this example one step further. Right? There will be occasions. Right? Now I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give it to you out in cryptic. Right? Those who know will understand what I mean. Right? But nowadays everyone knows this stuff. So I'm going to give it to you in cryptic cryptic code. Right? There'll be some bodily substances. Right? Under some circumstances, they'll be perfectly fine. And in other circumstances, they'll be repulsive. <laughs> Think. When the lights go out, they're, just, they're perfectly fine. I mean metaphorically, when the lights go out. When you dive into the sensual world, where sense goes out and now all you have is a creation of your own mental imagination right? in that world things that were repulsive to you when you were in your perfect senses yeah, that was also not perfect senses still, you know, those things are uh, what was unacceptable to you all of a sudden become so acceptable and it, you know, without them you feel that there is no connection Think about it. Think about the things that people do when they go mad with desire. Hmm? Maybe things that they will avoid at any cost. Hmm? They will look for. They will go looking for. They will want to experience when the lights go out. Meaning it was not there in the first place. It was never there. These are all projections of a mind, you know, as and when it starts going insane. They start, start reinterpreting the world, folks. You know, for, for maybe 20, 30, 50, 60 years, you've seen the world in one way. And I'm inviting you to open your eyes and look at it again, fresh, as it really is. Because how you saw the world up until now was not the truth. It was only half the truth. You saw physical stuff, but you gave it a wrong interpretation. The physical stuff remains. Nothing changes. It is your interpretation that has to change. Now, before I conclude, I want to complete the answer to the, uh, the question that came. So, the question was, if Jati creates, if Jati creates an energy, if one Jati creates an energy, and then how come it comes back to fruition on another jati? So that was the question. I'm going to answer this question with an analogy. Man has a bat in his hand. Okay. And he hits a ball up in the air. 
now it's up there what does it do imagine he's hitting this in a perfect line straight line and then it comes back down right comes back down and he hits the ball again yeah and then the ball goes up and it comes back down again and he hits the ball again so it keeps coming back each strike that this man makes is a separate and discrete strike it's not the same strike right so you can count the number of strikes if you want to first strike second strike third strike and so on right these are all individual strikes now if he didn't strike what would happen to the ball he would fall onto the ground it is because he keeps striking the ball goes back up in the air and it comes down again do you all understand that pretty simple right and straightforward now the concept of vipaka and karma is very similar to that this ball coming down this is a vipaka coming to fruition karma is striking this ball back up into the air it'll go back up and it'll come back if you strike it again it'll go back up and with each strike you can strike it with whichever whatever force you want if you strike it really high with a lot of energy it'll go all the way up and if it's just a light strike it'll just go a little way up yeah so but if you don't strike what will happen it'll fall to the ground and when will that ball come back when will it come back never do you understand the analogy now let's relate it to the prutagjana the sotapanna and the arahant the prutagjana is someone who keeps on striking what they don't know actually really what they don't know is it is it was the ball that they struck that's coming back they don't know that it was the ball that they struck that's coming back so they look into the sky and who's throwing these balls and you know what they do they they think that there's someone up there throwing balls at them so what they do is because they're angry with that they strike it all the way up with all the energy that they can muster maybe even swearing at them hmm? angry really angry and then they strike it with their full force all the way up right but it's only going to come back down again on them that's what happened he understands ah so this is what's happening it is the very ball that i struck that's coming back down on me so he realizes that this is not something i need to be doing time and time and over and over again so but he can't stop himself from putting the bat out there and striking it but now he knows that striking is not the answer to this but he wants to stop it he can't stop feeling he can't stop feeling the urge to strike but he knows that this is not right it's like when you realize that smoking kills you want to stop but you can't stop immediately it takes a while right and then finally you have the arahant the arahant what does he do he drops his bat he doesn't fight back he doesn't strike again so each ball that comes it just drops onto the ground whereas with the sotapanna sorry whereas with the prutagjana there is no room for that to happen 
each ball that drops, they strike it back up again. Now let me connect this to Jati. Jati What is the step just before Jati? Bhava. Yeah. So if you remember the uh, the word I gave for Bhava when we were talking about the dependent origination process a while back was becoming. Yeah. You can also think of it as generation. Not youth generation, old generation. I mean generation as a verb. Generating, generation, generator, you know, to generate. Yeah. What Bhava does is it generates something that is not there. What is there? Sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. What else is there? Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, and Vinyana. These are the things that are there. So they don't need to be generated, do they? If something's there, you don't need to generate it. So what has to be generated? Something that is not there. Now, when ignorance is there, we know that the mind wants separation. Separation is not something that is there. It does not exist. So, what the mind has to do now, it, it has to come up with a blueprint to generate separation. Yeah? Make sense? So, now the mind executes this blueprint. The blueprint is Abhisankara. Avidya Pacha Sankara. This is Abhisankara. Abhisankara is the blueprint. Sankara Pacha Vinyana. So, Vinyana is the is the is the is the is the mind that has now started to implement the blueprint. Now it starts implementation of that blueprint, all the way until it does the generation part right at the end, which is bhava. And as moment bhava happens, now it has generated jati, bhava jati. So at that moment of generation, it generates not only jati, but it generates the energy to throw this vipaka back up into the vipaka pool. So therefore what happens is like striking this ball up into the air, that vipaka comes back again. Jati also happens and the vipaka is recycled. It's recycled. But that vipaka can take a different form. It doesn't have to come back in the same way. It's like, you know, if you took, uh, say, water from the tap, right? You can pour it down the sink and that water will eventually come back through the tap again, through the water cycle. But if you wanted, you could, you could put some dye into the water and put it in the sink. Right? So you can put some red dye, some blue dye, some orange dye, green dye, whatever. Right? And that dye can change the, 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 the quality of the water. But it's still water after all. So in the same way, when bhava happens, when this origination, oh sorry, when the, uh, the generation happens, Right, right as it tries to produce this, this ultimate product that it wants, which is this, this sense of separation, right, what the mind does, it is generates enough energy to throw, this, throw that vipaka back up into the vipaka pool. And when it, when it comes to fruition, that vipaka comes back again. So really, that is why your vipaka never runs out. And whether it's a one-to-one -one ratio, I don't know yet. It's something we can talk about in the future. You know, one vipaka, when you generate, is it just one vipaka back or is it multiple vipakas? Uh, it's quite likely that, you know, when one comes in, several go out, go out again. Because the mind is, a, is, a, is an energy source. It can generate energy. I mean, if you can generate separation, why can't it generate energy? 
Mind is the energy source. So that's what happens. And therefore, when this vipaka goes back up into the vipaka pool, now when it comes back down again, when it comes back to fruition, remember we said, you know, although I draw it like this, it's only just one mind at any given time. This is just on the time axis. That is an extrapolation on the time axis. Whereas really, you only have one of these. When this passes away, another one takes its place. When that passes away, another one takes its place, right? So it's like the bat. There are not multiple bats, it's just the same bat. Yeah, but you keep striking the bat, with the bat. Right? So each time the bat makes a strike, it's the ball that was struck up earlier, that's just come back down again, and you strike it again, and the ball goes up, and it comes back again, and you strike it again, and the ball goes up, and it comes back again. So the same thing happens here. Jati is the equivalent of striking the ball with the bat. So there will be a, a point where you realize that this is a meaningless effort. This is pointless and therefore you will just put the bat away. And when that happens, right, when Vipaka comes back, there will be no Jati because they, when, if there is no need for a Jati, is there a need for Bhava? If there's no need for separation, is there a need for a process that generates separation? No. So when there's no bhava, there's no energy being 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 dispersed out to the out to the universe to put those vipakas back and recycled. So that is why, in the mind of an arahant, vipakas are only expended. They are not recycled. That is why you say navanati sambhava. Hmm? An arahant does not generate, the mind of an arahant does not regenerate vipaka. It simply consumes and exhausts vipaka. Whereas a non-arahant, because they are always looking for this separation, what they do is they have to generate that separation in the mind because separation is not something that exists. Yeah? Are we all clear on that? Generation, separation is not something that exists out there. So the mind has to generate that feeling. And the effort that, put, that is put into generating that feeling also does throw out the energy that puts the vipaka back into the vipaka pool. So this is what goes on in the mind. So I hope that answers the question from the person who asked the question. In understanding all this, really there's only one conclusion to come to. You know, how much time do you think a man who keeps a bat Right? And just keep striking this ball, it comes back down, puts it back up, strikes, strikes it back up, comes back down. You know, what would you say this man is doing? Something very useful? Or something useless? Something useless. But it exhausts him. And there's not just one ball. Constantly hitting these balls back up into the air. This is what people have to do. So there is never any Nibbana, there is never any satisfaction, there is never any fulfillment, there is never any peace for this man. Because he does not accept and acknowledge that Vipaka is just Vipaka. He doesn't like the Vipaka, so he strikes it back up. I don't want this. He strikes it back up, not knowing that the same Vipaka is going to come back to him again. That's why when you have things in this world that you like and dislike, right? whether you like it or you dislike it, you always fight back. You always throw it back up. Even if you like it, you strike it. Even if you don't like it, because there's something you like, you strike it again. 
So every time you strike, it goes back up and it comes back down again. There's no escape. The only thing to do is understand that all vipakas are just the same. Treat it with equanimity. Accept it. And then just let it pass. That is the nature of an arahant. He accepts the world as it is. No affection and no affliction. He accepts the world as it is. To be able to do that, you have to understand that all things are universal and all things are the same. There is no separation that can be obtained from any of it. Okay? Right. So let's conclude the sermon there. We have the... uh, Arms giving today. I hope you'll all take part and earn lots of merit by making offerings to the Mahasanga, even if it is a sadhukara or any other way you can. Make use of these opportunities. If I am reminded next week, I'll explain to you why it is that when you make offerings to the Mahasanga, and I don't just mean monks. Because the Mahasangha is bhikkhu, bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas. By their very definition, people who strive for Nibbana. I'll explain to you next week, if I'm reminded, why those actions help you attain Nibbana much faster, quicker and sooner than you know, maybe just doing a, a normal meritorious deed. There's a logic behind it. Okay? So we'll talk about that next week. Right, let us take a moment then. To transfer the merits that we have all acquired today by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasakas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha, and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Sripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand, and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to the members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves to the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhansa, as, well as, as well as all the other teachers resident at the monastery, as well as the Anagarikas and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them, and may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the warful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, Fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May to the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, they fulfill the meritorious deeds, Fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. <coughs> Let us take a moment to transfer to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, 
our elders, friends and acquaintances, employees, employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let's take a moment to transmit to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Samadhisasana. Let us transmit to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been our families, friends and acquaintances in this long journey in samsara and to those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. Let us transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation and may all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to all those who lost their lives in natural calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them. And may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Let us all resolve that may to the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may to the power of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an arahat on Mohanse, an arahat in Mohanse in this very life itself and in the eva of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the noble triple gem be with you all. And the members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. <coughs> Sapa Ladima Nivan Sapa Ladima Nivan Sapa Ladima 
ಸಿ ಅನಂತ ಮಹಾಗುಣ ಬೆಲೆಂ ಸಿರುಲೋಕ ಸಿರು ಸಾತ್ವಯೋಮ ನಿಬ್ಬಾನ ಪರಮ ಸುಖೇನ್ ಸುಖಿತ ತರಗತ್ಯ ಸಾಧು ಸಾಧು ಸಾಧು